Hey y'all, quick production note about this episode. Emmy and I recorded this last year. This was before the election and in the thick of quarantine. So some of the references and things we talk about will refer to those circumstances. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Gary Conahan, and this is the Beautiful Tension Podcast. I'm back for another season, and I have been so excited to bring you more episodes, more guests, and more stories. There are some really incredible ones coming up this season. If this is your first time tuning in, first of all, welcome. Second of all, there's an entire season already out for you to check out, so do that uh, if you haven't already. But whoever you are, I'm glad you're here. If any of you are wondering who I am, I am a gay and queer identifying Christian who came out while in the mission field. Yes, you heard me correctly. It was wild. (laughs) But I survived, obviously. And as I've worked to integrate my faith and sexuality over the years, I've also yearned to hear from others who have been on journeys similar to mine. So that's what this podcast is about. We talk about queerness, spirituality, resilience, joy, and so much more. We have a good time. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. This week, I'm talking with Emmy Martinez, the fierce, fabulous, and femme mentoring coordinator at the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Emmy tells her story of exploring gender and working through self-hate and body image issues. Additionally, she shares about the amazing work she does at the center with the mentorship program and the resilience of the many mentees she's been able to work with. By the end of our conversation, my cheeks were hurting a lot because we smiled and laughed so much, and I'm sure it will be the same for you. Without further ado, enjoy my chat with Emmy. Emmy, thanks so much for making time for the podcast and being on it today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. (laughs) So for those who don't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? Who are you? Fierce, fabulous, and femme. I love that. Can I use that for your bio? Of course. That's it. That's all you need. That's all you need to know. No. That's um, everything. My my full name is actually Emmanuel Martinez, um, but most folks call me Emmy, like the awards, because I am one. Um, I grew up in Wilmington, California. for the family of eight, five siblings. We all have dogs now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, some of us have two dogs. Um, my parents immigrated here from Pura Promechocan, Mexico. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in English with an emphasis in creative writing and a minor in Chicano Chicano studies. I am an, a forever break from going back to school, um, but I, I always see the value in learning new things and just brushing up on important things that we need to keep knowing about, such as policy and development of society and businesses. Um, yeah, I have a four-year-old Chihuahua lab. Her name is Mila. Um, she's sleeping behind me. As I don't know if you can see her. Um, but yeah, she's right there. There she is, Aww. Yeah, waiting for her walk. <laughs> she really is. She. I work you know, from 10 to 6 on most days, so she has to wait until I'm done with everything. And that includes like my side stuff. Um, I'm currently um, being coached by a fabulous person named Nell, and um, that also takes up my time. And he's helping me develop things related to like my writing and getting back on track. I took a seven-year hiatus with writing after college, and... I'm like, I'm 30 now, so I'm like, I did not go to college for nothing, especially for that degree, so I need to get back on track with writing and and creating and putting that stuff out there, even though it sometimes freaks me out, so. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. Mm-hmm. What, regarding your writing, what kind of writing do you enjoy, whether topically or style, what's kind of, what draws you? I think the thing that makes me love writing is the shock factor of writing. So like whether it be poetry or spoken word or, um, or literature or even like media, like I love when we have like a shock or there's like a, a plot twist of some kind that we didn't see coming. So a lot of like my early poetry, like was a lot of that, like it may have seemed to have been like about love, but it was actually about murder. 
Um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm slowly delving back into that, but I don't like want to go full force right now. I'm actually, um, developing a children's book series. Um, and I'm hoping that I will have at least the first one done by next year. And, um, it'll be good. It'll be, it's going to be an LGBTQ children's book series. And I'm, it's been on my brain for like the past three years and I'm, it's time I have to, I have to tell this story and make it known. I love that. I love that. (laughs) If, if, our listeners uh, can have a sneak preview. What is the theme or what is the plot about? So right now it's planned out into three books. The first theme will be about finding, you know, love and seeing how that develops. Um, it'll, the two characters um, are dogs. So one is a, one is a husky. The other one is a chow. Um, the chow's based off of me and my personality. So that's going to be fun too put on paper (laughs) and uh, the second book would be about um just that how a relationship forms what that looks like in terms of having a friendship and that letting that be part of the relationship and the last book um the way i'm seeing it now um will be them breaking up and both of them learning how to navigate breaking up with someone that they really loved and what that looks like for their future and Perhaps I'll leave it open-ended to see if they get back together. Who knows? It's somewhat slightly based off of a previous relationship I had. And um, I'm just, I feel like that's something that children especially don't always get to really learn is, you know, relationships are great, but what happens when it doesn't work out? You know, and I've been, as I've grown up, like I've seen people get divorced or cheat on each other or whatever. And, you know, those things are hard to talk about, but I feel like they're needed to be talked about, especially, you know, for younger kids. And I think about my nieces and nephews in that respect where, like, they've seen certain things, you know, from my life or from the lives of their other deals and tias. And I know they have questions and sometimes they ask, sometimes they don't. But I I've always want to be a beacon of information for, for anyone. That's really great, though. I love that you're writing that and that that's in the works and this doesn't need to be said, but there's so much need for queer literature out to be in the world. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited. And you will get a copy once it's done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Signed, please. Of course. Of course. (laughs) That's great. So I met you not too long ago and met is kind of in quotes in the way that you know, during COVID, but also how millennials tend to meet each other these days. Um, but we met through a mutual friend, actually. Uh, would you care to, to share more about that and how you and I got connected? Yeah. So my friend and colleague, Angela Pacheco, um, who is a doll and I love her. I, I miss her. I haven't seen her since like March and that's weird. Um, but yes, she actually recommended your podcast uh, to myself and a few of our other colleagues and I just thought it was a really interesting opportunity to, you know, look into and listen um, to some of your previous episodes, including Angela's. And, you know, I've always wanted to do more of just putting myself out there in different ways. And this was just an opportunity. I just wanted to kind of see if one, if you were interested in having me on your podcast and if I also could just get my nerves together and and do this sort of thing. Um but yeah, I mean, I think when first listening to your podcast and reading the description, I thought, oh, what a novel idea, like talking about tensions and the beauty of them. And as I was reflecting before today, when I say before today, I mean like the past few weeks when we've been figuring out when to actually communicate with each other and record this, I thought a lot about like, well, what tensions are around me and what have, what have shaped me, you know, and where beauty has come from that and you know, I, I'm excited to talk a little bit about that because, you know, I don't always think about that. I always reflect on the negatives and focus so much on that. And this, you know, really put me in the position of let's talk about the beauty that has come from those things. And, you know, particularly the, the tension that I'm bringing up today is heteronormativity in a Latino household, um, which is something that was extremely prevalent growing up. Um, but there has been a lot of beauty that has come from it. And though it took some time for 
a lot of it to come to fruition. A lot of it is still coming out. I'm very grateful that, one, my family has grown so much since my childhood, especially my parents. And two, that I'm still here, you know? Like, that something that I'm sure a lot of us feel growing up is, will I even make it to 30? And for me, that was a really big question that I had. And I always think of it as like, well, if I get it to 18, then I can get to 21. If I can get to 21, I can get to 25. And now that I got to 30, I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> where am I going to go over here next? And, you know, there's, it's always been like, I have college next, or I'm going to focus on this job for two years and see where it takes me. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, I, I'm comfortable but I don't want to be. I, 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 I think a lot of that just comes from not knowing if I would survive long enough. You mentioned heteronormativity in your family and, and culture. How did that, I mean, I'm sure there's a million and one ways you could describe this, but how did that manifest for you growing up? What did that look like? So to backtrack really quick, um, I grew up in a household of eight. Um, my parents are Maria, Maria and Jose Martinez. Um, I have been very blessed to have the family that I have, to have been able to grow with all five of my siblings. And you can imagine all of us in one house with one bathroom growing up. It was bananas. It was crazy. But it was also a lot of fun. There was a lot of great moments, a lot of fun moments, but as I've grown throughout my 20s, I realized more and more the different things related to heteronormative values and ideals that really, what's the word, stopped me or halted me from becoming who I am, from embracing who I am. And a lot of, you know, hearing things like, well, girl, uh, boys don't wear makeup or you can't wear that because only girls do that. Or I remember when I was like 17, like I wanted to dye my hair orange. Don't ask why, I don't remember. And my mom was like, well, only girls do that. Only girls dye their hair. And there was just so much like, no, you can't do this. Or you can't do this because you are a boy type of thing. And that always like, I didn't know how damaging that was until I got older. And sometimes I've, like, I've re really reflected on this um, for the past, uh, I want to say four years now, like how much that has impacted me and what has that kind of made me feel. And ultimately, I had a lot of self-hate growing up. It, that really is what it led to. I had a lot of self-hate. I did not love my body. Sometimes I still don't love my body. I didn't know how to be accepting of other gays around me or of other people within my community, not at first. And that was a learning thing for me in my early 20s. And it, it was a lot, you know, I, I, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. I'm glad I'm like super fierce, femme, fabulous, like I said earlier, but it's a, it was a journey getting there, you know, like, and even now, like I'm not done with exploring my gender identity or my, my sexual identity. I, I feel like there's pockets in there that, are yet to be explored or yet to be at least talked about with someone. So a lot of it is, is, is well, self-hating that kind of formed me into my early 20s. And then my early 20s was like a renaissance of like, let's, let's backtrack and let's deconstruct all the things that stopped me from being me or that made me have these thoughts of like, oh, like I should judge these people or that's something that I shouldn't be okay with because of what I feel from growing up. So it's just things like that. And gosh, I like, I hated that. I hate thinking about it and I don't blame like my family or my parents or anything like that. I, I blame the way society worked. I blame intergenerational trauma and you know, that's still something that's ongoing as well. Even, you know, what we're creating right now and I'm looking out into the Hollywood Hills, I'm like, we are still in, in it. We're still creating trauma for the next generation. We're still creating things that other kids in the future will have to figure out once they're our age. And when they're our age, we'll be in our eighties and I'll be like, well, I'm so sorry. Like we tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's real though. So a couple things. First off, you talked about 
what I hear is there was a tension kind of intermittently through your childhood and moments of self-hatred. So wherein was that tension for you? Like what was causing either internally or externally, what was that tension for you? So I think, damn, you threw me back into middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, we thought we'd never go back. It is not a good place (laughs) to think about, but it is a lot of place for growth. Um, So middle school is when I started really getting bullied. So being bullied at home, I don't want to say fully bullied. I misunderstood is the word I want to use. And then being bullied at school, like that just, I couldn't be myself at home and I couldn't be myself at school. You feel me? And Mm -hmm. I didn't know who I want, who I am. I didn't know who I was back then. I, I was, I heard this term gay and I was like, I don't know what that means. And I looked it up and I was like, it means happy. So I'm like, I mean, I am, but like, why is that a bad thing? And then, you know, as you continue to learn more and more, like you, you learn certain things and then you learn about being queer and how that's a thing. And there were really no role models around me to kind of be like, hey, like, you'll be fine. Like, you'll be fine in the future. And then we go into like the things I used to watch. Like Degrassi was like one of the big things I watched as a kid. And I feel like that helped shape me a lot. Especially the character of uh, Marco. Um, I think it was his name. Marco. He was gay. Um, It was hard to watch things or say that I like certain things without getting called out on it. Like at school, if I would say I like Britney Spears, like, oh, immediately, that's a gay. I'm not going to say the F word because that's actually what was said. Um, Anything really I did, like the F word was used for me. And... I remember hearing the F word since fourth grade and I didn't fully uh, comprehend the F word until like sixth grade. Um, And I can recall like so many times where like it came up and I didn't know how to handle it. And I internalized like the crying and everything from that because I didn't want people to like see me react to it. You know what I mean? At home, that was a little harder. You know, I had an older brother who you know, also bully me a little bit that way. And a lot of that, a lot of what I feel he did was based off what he heard at school, you know? Um, and there was even ones where like my dad, like saw me watching Degrassi and like two of the characters were kissing and like, he said, Oh, that's disgusting. And then that, you know, just hearing things from all these different male figures in my life, especially like, you know, my dad and my older brother, it was just like, well, what do I do? It was like me holding myself like this. Like, can I talk about this? Can I, can I put my hand like this? So, and every time like a gay character of some sort or any kind of flamboyant character came on the screen or was talked about at home or even at school, like people would look at me. My family would look at me. And it's just like, do do you know something that I don't know? Cause I want to be fabulous. I don't know what that means yet. And then little did I know it would take me like 20 years from the age of 10 to realize how fabulous that would be. And, you know, that's, that's part of the journey, I, th- I think. And I, gosh, it was so hard. Like sometimes, you know, wanting to play with nail polish or play with Barbies. And don't get me wrong. Like I love me some Hot Wheels. I collect Hot Wheels. I collect other things. But like, as I've grown up, I also realized that toys are so non-gendered they don't need to be it's even with clothing and like now I wear now I oh I would kill in a dress now I love dresses I love putting on heels I've worn heels before I need to practice nowadays I guess I have time since we're in quarantine but (laughs) I wear makeup as much as I can I I mean I, I just recently did my nails red I was actually supposed to finish doing these in a matte color, but I didn't. I don't like the way they're looking now. So, like the bomb red. Anyways, um, so yeah, like those kinds of things, like being able to explore myself and my gender that way. Like, forget the sexual identity stuff. Like, I think what I needed as a kid was to just to let myself and my gender explore. Like, that's really what it was. And I, I like, I think about it now. I'm like, it wasn't really the sex that I was needing to focus on not that any of us really do but it was the gender aspect the yes i was born a boy yes i was born a male yes i have a penis but that's not 
anything related to who I am as a person, who I am in my personality, my charisma, my everything. And that was the tension that really, like, when I think about it now, like, I didn't get to start exploring that until, like, maybe my mid-20s. Like, really. Like, I want to say after 25, 26 is when I really started. So I'm still fresh into, like, exploring my identity. (laughs) And I'm 30, and I'm like, this is bananas, but... In the work that I do, I've also seen that with other folks. Uh, I work uh, for the Los Angeles LGBT, the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Wow, they're gonna hate me for messing that up. But I'm <laughs> oh, cool. Let me say that again. I work for the Los Angeles LGBT Center. I am the mentoring coordinator, so I work with a lot of volunteers who are around my age. Some of which are in their forties, fifties, sixties, some even seventies. I've met. And there have been a lot that I've seen and met that also are just beginning that gender identity journey. And when we talk about, well, what has stopped us from that, it's the same kind of narrative. Like, family said this, being around certain people made us kind of enclosed in on ourselves, at least internally. And now that, like, we're older or we're free or certain people have died, (laughs) like, some parents, I've I've heard this story from people, like, now they're free to be themselves, and I I feel that, and I resonate with that, and that being at the center kind of, like, helped me learn that being, exploring gender doesn't stop when you're done with, like, hitting puberty, you know what I mean? Like, it's an ongoing thing, it's always gonna change, if you let it, too, and, like, I see straight folks, like, who don't let themselves explore their identity. And I'm like, it doesn't mean you're gay. It doesn't mean you're queer. It doesn't mean that you're going to go sleep with someone of the same sex or anything like that. It just means you're exploring your gender identity. You're exploring what that looks like for you and what comfort that is for you. And who knows, like there could be a lot of straight boys out there who want to do makeup, but because of the stupid stigmas that are out there, they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point about I think queer people obviously maybe get this more so, but there's these worlds we grew up in kind of enmeshed gender and sexuality. And what we don't realize is that they are distinct or what many, what we maybe didn't realize growing up and what many people today still don't realize is that they are distinct things. And so like you're saying, sexuality is one thing. And I think because of, maybe our culture and just especially religious cultures that are very kind of hyper-focused on on sexual ethics, you know, but that gets a lot of attention. And then there's this whole other area of gender and that's almost more rigid because I feel like in a way or in some ways, like you could, maybe you could come out as gay, for example, but the expectation is that you're still a man, you act as masculine as possible, despite the fact that you're romantically and sexually attracted to men, you know? So it's like, yeah, I, you're highlighting something really good and really important. And I'm, I'm glad that you're distinguishing those things. And also that it's so encouraging to see in your journey. I mean, I know you're like, man, I'm 30 and I'm like barely into this journey, (laughs) but that's, it's encouraging that you're in the journey. It really is. Well, I've eliminated the whole, I'm 30 and like, can't believe this, like, I couldn't keep thinking like that, you know, like that is kind of silly. Like I still have a whole life ahead of me and I do have to remind myself that, but yeah, that's, that's something that I am always, you know, especially now that I know that myself, like I tell parents that I meet at at work, like they're two separate things and that should be how it is. And you should remember that, like what they're exploring with their gender is completely different than what they will explore with their sexual identity later on in life. And that's okay. You can't control that. And I've had parents being like, oh, well, like, I can tell them what to do until they're 18. I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 but that's going to damage them. And you are also not hearing me when I say they are two separate things. And that's important to remember. And when I, when I learned there were, you know, I've always kind of known that there are separate things, but, like, when I was also told that they are separate things by other professionals and other people who are in the thick of our identities, you know, like I am, like, that was just an awe-inspiring moment. It was like a, aha, like, that makes sense. And I don't feel like I was wrong growing up. And I could have just focused on putting on nails and makeup and worn a dress to prom and been fucking fabulous. But here we are. I'm still fabulous, though. Here we are. You still are. (laughs) Have been and and Mm -hmm. still are. (laughs) 
So you talked about your mid-20s really kind of began that deconstruction for you of, well, deconstructing heteronormativity, heterosexism, and then uh, maybe heteronormativity is the better word for it. But, you know, and then beginning to explore gender. So was there an inciting incident for you or were there surrounding events, people, things that, that prompted that journey for you? Like exploring gender? Exploring gender, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. There. I smile and I get excited because that really is... This is why representation is important. This is why leadership and diversity is important in our community. And this is why we're, like, us, like, whatever you do as part of the LGBTQIA plus community, like, that's important for a younger person to see. So for me, you know, I, again, I didn't have that growing up. And when I got into college, that's when I started seeing, like, people who are trans. I started seeing people who are non-binary. Though I didn't know that term until, like, a few years later. And it's, it's just so exciting, you know? Like, for me, like, I think of Kate Bornstein. I think of Alok Menon. Um, um, Miles McKenna, I think. Uh, Skylar Bailar, um, but those are just famous people that I know about and hear about, and they're all great and they're part of the community. But people at work, like being at being at the center, has really expanded. That has really made me feel comfortable because you're at the center. You know, we're in our own little bubble. Like we can, you know, prance around and like go to our next meeting. But that really, like, just seeing other folks embracing themselves without hesitation, like that. That to me is beautiful. Like my, I think my first day I saw someone wearing this gorgeous dress and it doesn't matter their identity. Um, they're just gorgeous. And like, it didn't matter. Like they just look great, you know? And I was just like, I want to wear that. You know, I, I want to wear that. I want to be that fabulous. And I, I'm already that fabulous, but I want to be that fabulous. Like in a dress, bomb makeup, my hair done to the T and my nails done. Cause that's just what it's all about. And I, like, have really great friends at work. Like, um, I think of my friend V, my friend Jay, um, some of my mentor friends as well, who've also, like, just helped me embrace myself or, in a way, helped support me as I'm embracing that because I get scared. I always ask my other non-binary friends, I'm like, I want to wear this, but, like, I'm also nervous to wear this. And then there were times where I have, like, an identity crisis, and I'm like, can I say I'm gender fluid? And they're like, yes, because that's how you feel, and that's honestly how you are. And, like, yeah, that, that's what, like, being surrounded by, by the folks that are also like you is so important. And had we all had the upbringing that we wanted where schools allowed LGBTQ curriculum clubs where kids can come as they are like i honestly think we would have all been a lot more happier a lot more in tune with ourselves secure with ourselves but that's not the world we live in and we have to work for that and that's not a bad thing you know i'm I'm not upset that it took it took a while to get to where i am because now i'm excited for what's gonna come next i'm excited for learning how to put on makeup and blush i'm excited to practice wearing heels and maybe one day walk my dog wearing heels yes. <laughs> and just like <laughs> I already turn heads when I'm walking my dog mostly because it's her and she's super cute but imagine me wearing heels walking my dog down the street on Hollywood Boulevard yes literally I live a block away from Hollywood Boulevard and that would be bananas and so cool yeah I love that hmm. community it's it's a powerful thing and yeah I I love when I meet youth who embrace their community and they know so much and they want to join every workshop join every conference that will help them and i love encouraging that because it's you know when you find your community you will feel that support needed to really take into yourself and embrace yourself and just let your wings fly yeah you know or your dress twirl about yeah yeah <laughs> let your dress twirl <laughs> Yes. There's the quote for this episode. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's so much good in all of that. And we could go so many different directions. But you've spoken a lot about 
the folks that you work with at the center. And I'm first curious what led you to the center and working there. Um, well, actually, we'll just start with that. Um, so speaking of working at the center, what brought you to doing what you do? I love telling this story. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> um, so I have been working with youth since I graduated from CSUN in class of, um, class of 2013. Um, even before that, I've volunteered for schools, for camps. I volunteered once for like a couple of times for my mom when she was a, a teacher's aide at an elementary school. So I would come in and play clarinet for the kids. So I've worked with youth for since like maybe 16. But professionally, for the past seven years, I was a teacher right after college. So I taught middle school English writing and public speaking when for four years at a nonprofit called Heart of Los Angeles, which is um, in downtown LA. Um, yeah, in downtown LA. So I was working there, and you know, I'm the second I started working there, I was open. I didn't let any kind of secrets come out like, oh, like this person might be gay. No, I was very direct with my students. And I obviously asked like my supervisor, like, can I just be real with them? Like, I don't want to hide this. And I don't want questions being asked that are silly. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. And like, we're, we're in an open space here. And we want to encourage that. So I did that. And I was, you know, open. Even some of the parents knew. Some of them asked a couple of times about like my boyfriends that were at the time. And that was fine. I was like, yeah, like, this is how it should be, because when I was in school, like, there was nobody that was out. Anyways, I'd, you know, go on and on. But I, at one point, started seeing more and more of my students coming out as gender-expansive views. So whether that be trans, whether that be non-binary, gender-fluid, all of the things. This was around 2015, 2016. So around that time, I was still learning a lot. You know, I, I was still learning about trans identities. I was still learning about the different other identities, uh, sexual orientations that are out there and that are beautiful. I was still learning so much. And with that being said, I didn't know what resources to give these kids. I didn't know how to talk to them. Mind you, I also didn't even know how to talk to their parents in Spanish about this stuff because it wasn't translated yet and some of it still isn't and, and we're working on that, which is great. But... I felt like one of those teachers was like, I need to do something because this is, you know, I need to help these kids and I love them all. And I st I'm still in communication with a few of them when they're all doing great. And I just love their, I love watching their gender journeys. And then they also like know that I'm going through mine and they've seen me in makeup. and They're like, oh, you're so beautiful. I know. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit to 2017, I, like I really started getting more questions from my colleagues there as well. Like, oh, like my student is coming out as this or how should we approach this conversation with the parent? And again, I, I still felt like I didn't know enough. And I could talk all the live long day about the gay identity, about, you know, boys being able to do this and that. And again, doing it all in Spanish, which is another adventure. But I really wanted to do more. My heart was all right, was calling me to do more. And I didn't think it would be the center. I honestly hit up the center to do, to look at volunteer opportunities and what that would look like. And, you know, when I think about the Los Angeles LGBT center and I've known about it for years, like it's one of those, like, could I work there? Like, what could I do there? And I didn't know they even had a youth center when I applied, you know, that's how much like not in the know of that part of the center I, I was you know, like I knew about Mi Centro, which is in the East LA Boyle Heights um, Center. I knew about both of the health buildings, which is the one in West Hollywood, the one on Schrader. Like, obviously, we go get test, go get tested. <laughs> but I didn't know there was a youth center, or at least I didn't know to that capacity how big the youth center is and what they did. So I was just looking for volunteer volunteer opportunities, and then, funnily enough, it wasn't even. Through their website, I found out about the mentoring coordinator position. It was through a colleague at Heart of LA. She told me that, hey, there's this position that I think you should apply for. It seems like it's a good fit for you, especially with everything we talked about and what you want to do next with your, uh, with your life and your next steps. So I applied and 
I went through the whole thing and nerves and everything. And my boss even tells me like, oh, like, yeah, you were nervous. And I could tell when you were interviewed. I'm like, well, thanks for hiring me. Thanks for believing in me. And it's just like, that's really how it was. Like, I wanted to continue helping and being part of my community. And I really wasn't part of that before. And I've been there for two and a half years now, hitting three years in November. And I don't want to leave. I know, you know, it's possible one day I will have to because of other opportunities, but I have found where I want to be. I have found the work that I want to continue doing. I fully love what mentorship does for the LGBTQ youth of today. I think everyone should get an LGBTQ mentor. That's my plug. Yes. You can apply online. You can hit me up. E. Martinez at LALGBTCenter.org. Um... <laughs> But I, you know, again, not having a mentor or someone to look up to growing up, like, I know how important this work is. I know why it's needed. I needed it as a kid. There are so many questions that I had growing up. And I can meet youth all the time who have very different questions from each other, but very similar themes, very similar values wrapped in there when it comes to their family and I'm like, you're in the right place. Even if the mentoring program doesn't work out for them, I at least hope they find, you know, an adult who they can trust, who they can talk to and depend on. That's really all what it's about because we all need some kind of, we all need that support. We all need someone who's going to be like, mm, think about that for a second or be like, mm, go get tested. It's important, you know? And for that matter, like who else are some of us going to ask questions about sex? Because that doesn't happen in schools. Right. You know, we, like what is lube? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just things like that. Like I didn't know anything about sex. And like when I was like in high school and like, thank God I didn't have like a terrible journey with it. But like, I just want kids today to get the knowledge that they need to be happy, to be successful, to be comfortable um luckily like and being at the center like the reason I just continue continuously want to stay is like I interview so many youth so many adult mentors and they all have like these stories to tell they all have experiences like I thrive off hearing about their triumphs about what they're doing about the challenges they've overcome especially youth like I've met kids as young as six years old who've applied for this program and it's so it's so beautiful. I'm not going to cry, but it's so beautiful. Like I was in disbelief the first time that happened. Like I was on the phone with the parent. I'm like, I was like, Oh, how old is your child? They're like, Oh, they're six. I'm like, "Mm, mm -hmm." I'm like, okay, let's come in. Let's meet. And meeting that six year old, you know, little beautiful trans baby. Like I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is the future. Like right here is like parents knowing what to do when they don't know what to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love that. And I, I commend every parent that I meet when they know that they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I'll have them talk with a mentor. You can even learn from the mentor as well. And we have different resources for parents too. So we're all learning here. And I, I, I have seen parents blossom. I've seen parents blossom. I've seen youth transform, you know, in their identity and... I guess I'm thinking of so many of my kids and I'm like, ah, oh, they're, I just, oh, I love them all so much. Like they're, they, they're, they're the ones that keep that hope alive for me that I'm doing the work that needs to be done. And the center is doing what it needs to be doing. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Is there a story of one of the youth that you could share where you've seen beauty in their journey? How do I pick? Um, Gosh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Like this is a hard week for some of some of my youth. So you know, I'm trying to recollect. But there is one youth actually, and I can't say names obviously. But there is this one uh, trans male youth who started with the program about two years ago. Um, him and his mom were just figuring stuff out for you know, for the both of them, you know, he didn't always have the support from other people in his family. And he was already starting his transition. He was already, you know, starting on testosterone or um, looking into surgery and all that stuff. I mean, that was when I first started too. like, I now I know more about like, 
the surgeries and like what it takes to actually get into those places, into those rooms and gender therapy and all that. But I have seen this one particular youth. Oh man, he's, he's just become the person that he has always been and that is exciting to see because it's exciting for him. And I've, I've literally seen him go through transition. His voice is different now. He's tackling on these different challenges. He has an amazing mentor who stuck by him. His mentor is cisgender. So his mentor also like really took the time to understand trans identities, trans issues, what he needs to say and not say, how he needs to learn being there to support this kid. He basically became like a father figure to, to this kid. And like, I always talk about their story and cause that's what it should be about. It should be about a mentor, regardless of their identity, taking the time to learn about their youth, their identity, how they want to support them. And it's not, you know, yes, this mentor did, you know, provide like really cool gifts. Like he bought him like a, a laptop and I think a guitar ones. But, like, just those are things that were related to this youth's, like, professional goals. And there's a fire truck passing by. Um, to this youth's professional goals, academic goals. And I just love to see it. Like, I was like, you are doing the most, but it's also a really great thing. Because I saw how this kid was when I first met him. He was a little shy. He was a little, like, you know how kids are. They're a little rude, like, mm, I'm too cool. And now he's, like, grown up. Like, we just had a conversation the other day, and I was just like, like, how are you doing? He was like, I'm doing great. Like, I'm getting things together. I'm, you know, school's out, so I'm thankful for that. And I'm like, ah, oh, like, just hearing him talk, like, you can tell the difference two years makes for some of these kids in this program. Um, and I have, like, several others who started when I started, and, you know, they're still going. You know, I'm really proud of that because I... It makes me feel like I've done a good job of, you know, one, for some of them, matching them with a really great mentor. And, you know, now, like, it's gone to the point where mentees can pick their own mentor from a list of, you know, 55 plus mentors that we have in the waiting pool. And, like, that's just one story. Like, I I was trying to think of other ones, and I, gosh, I should have thought about this. But, that you know, there's youth who've gone to, like, Disneyland with their mentors. There's youth who practiced for the SAT and done a really good job with their mentors. There's, mentor, there's one mentor who every Saturday before the California high school exit exam, like, or whatever the equivalent is now, I don't know. But basically for this youth to graduate high school, he had to take a test. And this mentor, like, every Saturday before that test, like, I want to say for, like, three months maybe, like studying, studying, studying. And that's all that was on their report was them just studying, having fun with it. And the youth passed, you know, with flying colors. And that's just like, I just scream like, oh my God, like, yes. Like that's the kind of improvement I like. That's the kind of things I like to see. And that's what I like to, you know, share on my report or to anyone who wants to hear about this program because there are so many good things to come from helping youth discover their dreams and discover themselves. And sometimes they do need that push from a mentor. They do need that push from someone who's already gone through the challenges, who's already had to climb ladders and over, you know, jump over hurdles or whatever they had to do to become and be who they are. I love my job. I, I can go on and on. I just... I get so happy thinking about the work that I do. Yeah. And it's really fun. Hmm. My 15-year-old my self is super proud of me. Just like, you got this, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing all that. I, it's so inspiring and, you know, joy is contagious. So seeing you light up talking about the work that you do, like... I mean, I'm looking at you, of course, so, like, <laughs> I see the smile, I feel the joy, but, like, I think anyone listening to would can really feel that as well. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing all that. Of course. As far as something that I find so important for humans in general, but especially for the queer community, is the need for resilience through life in a world that is 
often hostile. But if there is one thing you could say to a queer person about what resilience means, what would you say to them? Resilience means finding your own form of hope. And that can change. That can look different day to day or year to year. Mm. Um, I actually wrote it down because I was like, what is resilience to me? But it really is just that. It's different forms of hope that continue moving you forward, you know, giving you a reason to move forward and building that excitement for life or, you know, whatever. So, like, for me, like, resilience, you know, does come from different forms of hope. Like, that hope was sometimes you know, feeling safe in my identity, that one day I will feel safe in my identity. And again, it pretty much took me 15 years to get to this point. So I'm still going. You know, the, the hope that my nieces and nephews will live a life where they can embrace their identity a lot quicker than I ever did and have someone, even if it's not me or if it's other people in their life, like other queer people, which I would hope for, like that they have someone they can talk to about things that they can trust. And... Um, you know, even in, like having my dog is like my hope, you know, and then, and my hope and reason to be resilient because I want to continue having my life so that I can continue having her in my life and, you know, having fun with her and being silly and taking her on walks with heels. <laughs> yes. Walks with heels. That's the title of my memoir, Walking in Heels. <laughs> yes. Um, look for it in 70 years. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, being resilient is a lot of work obviously, but you have to find the reason for you to, you know, continue moving forward and to continue having whatever hope you need in the world. Be your own hope, if anything, like the hope that you're going to be someone that's going to inspire, you know, someone to cure cancer or to become the first black trans president and be super awesome. God, like hopefully one day we we do have that. It'll be better than the current trash. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say about politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Resilience is hope. I like that. Hmm. Gosh. Well, there was so much good here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I loved hearing your story and I loved hearing about the work you do. And I thank you for being so honest. Of and course. Saying things that need to be said. So honestly, that's how life needs to keep going. And I've gotten in trouble for saying things that need to be said. But at the end of the day, and I think about like my family, like the things that I have said, like it's helped us all grow. Yeah. And I just want to do a quick shout out to my family, the Martinez Bunch, because they are sickening and they've grown so much. And I love my parents and I hope they listen to the whole thing. And if not, I'll just fast forward to this part where I say, I love you, dad. I love you, mom. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make that the promo. I just send it to him. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Um, So for people who want to follow you, follow your writing, your work, follow the work of the LA LGBT, LG, wow, that is a tongue twister. (laughs) Follow the work of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Where can people follow all those things? So for to reach me at the center, you can email me. So my my email is emartinez at lalgbtcenter.org. Um, I'm available Monday through Friday between the hours of 10 and 4 p.m. Uh, <laughs> but but really, that's 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 you know when I'm available. But if anyone ever has any questions or wants to talk about mentoring, right now everything's pretty much virtual. So. I'm somewhat exploring like what that could look like having a mentor in California and a mentee in like Nevada or Oregon, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to do that. And for follow me on my personal endeavors, um, you can follow me on Instagram at scenes of Yoli. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where all my creative stuff is going. I dance on there currently a lot. Um, I post a lot of my creative work and I'm going to be posting, um, I really just started posting more on my creative side. Um, so by the time this comes out and by the time you listeners jump on, hopefully I've posted several spoken word things and you can enjoy them or, you know, be like, hmm, that makes me think a little bit. And hopefully my st- my um, the first book of my children's series comes out um, very soon. Hopefully, again, by next year. 
Um, I'm still working on it. The current title is The Adventures of Fuzz and Pudge. So I love we'll that. We'll see how that <laughs> so goes. Cute. Yeah. And now it's on this podcast, so I have to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just solidified that title. So. I know, I really did. No, I said the pending title. Okay. Touche, touche. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Well, awesome. Thank you. This was this was so great. And it was great to have you on the podcast. So it was great to be on it, Gary. And I am, you know, I'm excited to hear it. And I'm excited to hear more of your podcast from other folks that you were interviewed before, because I'm still going through your episodes, because honestly, everything, this whole podcast, it it really is something special. And I I hope you can continue doing it and providing insight and inspiration for other folks. And I'm probably going to plug this, um, not my episode specifically, but just have my mentors and mentees, you know, start you know, mm. something for them to do during this, this time of quarantine, this yeah. ongoing time of quarantine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Lord. And I hope to meet you one day in person, you know, when yes, we can travel one and, day. you know, not be six feet apart. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yes, I'll bring the wine. So lovely. <laughs> Ugh, all the wine. Of the many things I took away from my conversation with Emmy, it's that mentorship ultimately is being for others the person you wish you had growing up. I think that resonates with a lot of us, especially queer folks. I know that I strive to be there for other queer folks. And if that's something that interests you, you can be that person too. That's it for this week's episode. Until next time, I hope your week is filled with joy. And as Emmy might say, may you find resilience in hope. Take care, friends. There are a few people I have to mention whose contributions to this podcast have helped make it possible. First, Brayden Pontoli, who created the beautiful theme music you've been hearing for this season of the podcast. You can find him on Instagram at Brayden Pontoli Music. Second, there's Kari Gale, who beautifully illustrated the new logo. You can find her on Instagram at Kari M. Gale and check out our website, karigale.com. She also has a podcast, Pilgrim Lost, and you can find that wherever you find podcasts. Last but certainly not least, there's John File, who's been helping with this pod since the very beginning. John's created social media posts for episodes since season one. He helped co-create the new logo and adapted it with his talented graphic design skills. And he filmed and edited the promo video, which you might have seen for this season of the podcast. You can find John on Instagram at J-N-P-F-E-I, J-N-P-F-I. Thank you, Brayden, Kari, and John. I deeply appreciate all of you and for helping make this podcast what it is.